Father in heaven, tonight we humbly bow before you, seeking your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross, that Jesus would be lifted up, that all of us here tonight would receive a fresh blessing from your word, and that we would be inspired to live as your people who are called to take this message to the world. Bless us tonight, Father. Send your spirit, I pray. Forgive me, Father, for my sins, and cover me in the blood of Jesus. In his name I ask, amen. The date was April 11, 1970. Forty-five years ago, the crew of Apollo 13 blasted off in their Saturn V rocket from Kennedy Space Center in Florida on their way to the moon. It was less than a year after Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin had first set foot on that lunar soil, and Jim Lovell, Fred Hayes, and Jack Swigert were on their way to the moon. But 56 hours after a successful launch, with the Apollo 13 spacecraft and its three-man crew now 205,000 miles away from Earth, on their way to the moon, came the ominous words, Houston, we've had a problem. An oxygen tank in the service module had exploded setting off a chain reaction of failures that crippled the basic life support systems of the spaceship. Realizing that the situation was critical and one of life or death, mission control and the crew were no longer focused on getting to the moon. Now they had one purpose, and that one purpose was saving the lives of those men and bringing them back to Earth. They created a lifeboat out of the, out of the lunar module and actually they, they decided that the only way to save them would be to slingshot them around the moon using the moon's gravity to propel them back to the earth. And so they did this, and the power was out pretty much. They had a loss of heat, there was a shortage of water, and they had a crippled air purification system. At one point, they famously had to figure out with tape and spare parts how to make a, a square filter go into a round hole so that the crew could breathe clean air. The crew and the mission control staff worked together to create what was nothing short of a miracle. The flight director, Gene Krantz, who was the man at the helm at mission control in Houston, he was approached by the NASA director at the, at the height of the crisis, and the director said, Gene, you know, this could be the worst disaster NASA has ever experienced. And Gene looked at him and said, with all due respect, sir, I believe this is going to be our finest hour. And he told his team those famous words. Failure, you remember what it is? Failure is not an option. Failure is not an option. They came together and had one purpose to get those three astronauts home. They gave all their best effort, all their energy to that one single goal. It was life or death. Failure was not an option. You know, the NASA team that worked on Apollo 13 was determined to follow their goal. There's a story in the Bible that was about a group that also had a mission. They had a goal to accomplish something, and nothing was going to stand in their way to get it done. Now, it might not be the story you're thinking of because we're going to go to Genesis chapter 11. So turn it with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11 or open up your iPhones, whatever you've got. Let's go to the Word of God, Genesis chapter 11. Beginning with verse 1, 
The Bible says, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar, and they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. See, the builders of the Tower of Babel, they didn't trust God and His promises. The Bible says they wanted to make a name for themselves. That was their main purpose. God had told them to disperse throughout the whole earth, but they wanted to create a city. They wanted to find security in man's works, not in God's. And in selfishness and pride, they directed their own course and charted their own destiny. They also wanted to secure their lives in case there was another flood. They didn't believe God's promise in Genesis 9 that he would not flood the earth again. The tower was a way of saving themselves. And the Bible continues in verse 5, Genesis 11. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have what? One language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing, notice what it says, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Interesting. The Bible says that if God didn't step in, these evil men would stop at nothing and they, will they would fulfill their goal. What did God do? We know the story. Verse 7. The Lord said, come, let us go down and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad over from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. The Bible says it confused their language. You can imagine, they're, they're trying to build this tower, and they're calling up for more materials, and they're calling down, and they can't understand, and they're getting frustrated and angry. Have any of you ever been in a place where you didn't know the language, and you were a little frustrated? <laughs> you know, I'll be honest, I started uh, my ministry at a Filipino church. I love Filipinos, by the way. My fiance is one. But uh, at the church, it was funny because, you know, they could talk about me, and I could never know what they were saying. But I, I, uh, I love them, and I praise God for them. But anyway, they could not understand each other. And so God's purpose was accomplished. Slowly they dispersed over various parts of the earth. Now this is a sad story in the Bible. I mean, these people experienced such a loss in setting themselves against God. Instead of gratefully remembering God's mercy and His covenant, they murmured against God and tried to save themselves. How many today are in that same boat building towers for themselves, whether it be towers of human or scientific theory, turning away from the clear teaching of Scripture. Ellen White says in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 124, if the professed followers of Christ would accept God's standard, it would bring them into unity. But so long as human wisdom is exalted above His holy word, there will be what? Divisions and dissension. But let me ask you a question. If evil men with an evil purpose, a self-seeking purpose, could unite together for a common goal, even to the point where God said unless he stepped in, they would, they would fulfill their goal, how much more can God's people, when they are united under the power of the Holy Spirit, accomplish their goal? Amen. Is there a, a place in the Bible 
where God's people came together for a common purpose to do something. Sure, we could look at many stories, but the one that stands out in my mind is Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, the story of the New Testament church. And you remember our scripture reading for tonight, Acts 1.8. Just before Jesus returned to heaven, he told his disciples that promise. He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus is then taken up from them out of their sight. He's no longer with them. The angels tell them that he's going to come back in the same way he left. And they have a job to do. So now what do they need to do? It's time to devise plans. It's time to, 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 to lay down a strategy, to meet together and come up with a committee. Is that what they did first? They go to have a prayer meeting. That's the first thing they did. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They understood the source of their power was not in themselves. It was in God. My friends, when God's church prays together, powerful things happen. And just the same, the, 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 the key to success in our local churches, in our, in, our, in our conferences, in our unions, in our divisions, in ASI, is that we humbly come together seeking the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all what? With one accord in one place. Pentecost comes. The Holy Spirit falls. Peter preaches a powerful sermon. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Praise God. Now question for you. What were the reasons for the success of the early church? Let's take a look at a couple of statements from Acts of the Apostles to see if we can find this out. The first one here from page 36. Like a procession, scene after scene of his wonderful life passed before them as they meditated upon his pure, holy life. They felt that no toil would be too hard, no sacrifice too great, if only they could bear witness in their lives to the loveliness of Christ's character. You see, they understood the source of their power was first in lifting up Jesus, in remembering his sacrifice and his love for them. The second thing that she notes, she says the disciples prayed with intense earnestness for a fitness to meet men and in their daily intercourse to speak words that would lead sinners to Christ. Putting away, what does it say? All differences, all desire for supremacy, they came close together in Christian fellowship. They realized that in order to, to do God's work, they had to put away their differences. They had to unite humbly, confessing their sins to one another and uniting together. Thirdly, she says this, these days of preparation were days of deep heart searching. The disciples felt their spiritual need and cried to the Lord for the holy unction that was to fit them for the work of soul saving. They did not ask for a blessing for themselves merely. They were, what does it say? Waited with a burden for the salvation of souls. They had one 
purpose. The salvation of souls. And just as in Genesis, God used language as a tool to separate. In Acts 2, when the disciples came together, humbly depending upon His power, He now uses language as a tool to unite them for the preaching of the gospel. And so, my friends, when we understand the source of our power is not in ourselves, it is in looking to Jesus and lifting Him up. When we understand that we must humbly unite together and put away all differences, when we understand that we have one purpose, a burden for souls, God will give us power to finish the work. But you might say, well, Kyle, that's very interesting, but it's not like that at my church. I mean, my church is having all kinds of problems. I mean, look, we bicker, we fight, we have issues, we have arguments, opinions, offshoot theologies, and evangelism doesn't work most of the time. Well, you know, there's a, <laughs> I'll just throw this quote up there. There's a quote that always comes to my mind when problems arise in the church. Think about this. If pride and selfishness were laid aside, five minutes would remove most difficulties. I know we've all heard that before, but just chew on that a little bit more tonight. When, when was the last time you said in your church, hey, let's do evangelism? What, what happened? I'm just curious. I know you can't all tell me, but I can guess what you might say. You had lots of problems, right? You know why? Because the enemy knows that if he can distract us and bombard us with all these other issues, it will take us away from the one purpose that can unite us, away from the power that God longs to give us. I had the privilege of pastoring the Mentone Seventh-day Adventist Church in Southern California, and uh, I heard an amen, <laughs> one of my church members out there, but you know, um, it was a blessing to be there. When I arrived at the church, uh, the church was in a good deal of turmoil over some various issues that had been brewing. And of course, as a pastor coming in, I was 27 years old, and they hoped I would solve the problem. I said, I have no experience. I cannot solve your problem, but I will pray. And so we began to pray. And you know, the church had already begun taking steps toward evangelism. They had held their first evangelistic meeting in a number of years, uh, the year before I got there. And so the Lord continued to lead us to focus on evangelism. Now, did that solve all of our problems? What do you think? No, it didn't. In fact, we got more problems. Because, you know, problems come. The enemy will throw those things at you to try to distract you. And don't get me wrong, you have to deal with your issues. You have to stand up for what's right. And I learned some hard lessons and made plenty of mistakes. But I believe that we must stay focused on our goal, on our one purpose of reaching the world for Jesus. We cannot be distracted or divided. By God's grace, uh, the Lord grew our church. The Lord, it, it wasn't perfect. I made a lot of mistakes. But I believe that God blessed us. And I believe the reason He blessed us is because we focused on what God wanted us to focus on. So my friends, as ASI, when we understand the source of our power is in lifting up Christ Jesus, is in uniting and putting away all of our differences, is in having a burden for souls that that is our one purpose, our church can see again what happened in Acts chapter 2. This statement from the Spirit of Prophecy always stirs me deeply. Speaking to our one purpose in this world and not being distracted, she says this, in a special sense, Seventh-day Adventists have been set in the world as watchmen and light bearers. They have been given a work of the most solemn import, the proclamation of the first 
second, and third angel's messages, there is no other work of so great importance. They are to allow nothing else to absorb their attention. Nothing else should absorb our attention. Now, friends, I have struggled with this one. I'm being real with you. I have struggled, but I believe that this is where we need to be. Nothing else can absorb our attention. We must focus where God wants us to focus. Now, in a larger sense, the church at all levels, not just the local church, but the conference, union, division, general conference, goes through what a local church does, doesn't it? I mean, Satan has the same strategies to divide us and take us off our one purpose. Issues and problems can distract and divide us from that purpose. Just as in the local church, issues are important to discuss. You have, make, you have to make biblical decisions and stand on truth. Unity cannot be had at the expense of what's right. Our only true unity is as we follow Christ and his word. But you know what? A wise church member once told me something in the midst of a difficulty at my church. He said, Pastor, you know you can often do the most sinning when you're right. Did you catch that? You may be right, but not righteous, friends. It's not just what we believe. That's, imp that's important. But it's also how you live. It's how you treat each other. And there are people that will be in heaven that may not have had it all right, but they knew Jesus and they knew how to treat others as he would have treated them. The enemy will use any issue to take us off track. We cannot debate issues at the expense of focusing on our one purpose and doing what Christ has called us to do. The other way that the enemy seeks to take us off our purpose is to create a divide between church and layman, between people who are really supposed to be on the same team. Sometimes, as we've tried to reach out to the world, different branches of the church, different ministries, church ministries, supporting ministries, laymen, they think that their branch of ministry may be the most important. I remember last year at ASI, the sermon on Sabbath morning, Pastor Finley preached a powerful message, and in that message, the one thing I remember him saying is, we are a team because we are united in our purpose of reaching this world. In our own Seventh-day Adventist movement, this was a challenge from the beginning. The brethren in the church leadership often didn't understand those in supporting ministries and vice versa. There's been tension. And Ellen White was right in the middle of it. She was a strong supporter of supporting ministries, but strongly encouraged and exhorted both the church and the laity to come together to finish God's work. Remember these two quotes from the Spirit of Prophecy here. Speaking of pressing together, <clears throat> again and again, the angel has said to me, press together, press together, be of one mind, of one judgment. Christ is the leader, and you, our brethren, follow him. And then she says, Review and Herald, December 2, 1890, the secret of our success in the work of God will be found in the harmonious working of our people. There must be concentrated action. Every member of the body of Christ must act his part in the cause of God. According to the ability that God has given him, we must press together against obstructions and difficulties, shoulder to shoulder and heart to heart. And my friends, this is where the story of ASI comes in. Because the story of ASI is the story of God bringing lay people together to support the church for the work of ministry. Where does the story of ASI begin? 
Ultimately, it begins at the beginning of the story. <laughs> wow, think about that one. But the beginning of the story of redemption. From the call of Abraham, who himself was a businessman, down to the patriarchs and the prophets through the ages, even to the New Testament times, when God called men and women to proclaim his grace by their life and witness in their marketplaces, people like the Apostle Paul come to mind, who supported his work and ministry by his own labors, who had one purpose, sharing Christ in the marketplace, the burden for souls. And down through the ages until the dawn of the Advent movement, when people of various backgrounds, farmers, businessmen, doctors, lawyers, and yes, preachers, joined together to proclaim the Advent message that Jesus was coming. William Miller was a farmer, wasn't a preacher. He was a layman called to preach the message of the soon return of Jesus. And the founding of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, a small band of young people, faithful believers who loved God's word and were driven by the power to take, of God to take the three angels' messages to the world. Differing backgrounds, but their unity was in their common faith and mission. As the work of the Seventh-day Adventist Church expanded around the world, the church became organized, institutions were developed, but it began to become apparent the church alone could not meet the demand for new schools, for missionary training centers, for outposts. And it was from this need that self-supporting ministries were born. In 1904, you remember the story, some of you hardcore ASI friends, but those of you who may not know, 1904, E.A. Sutherland and Percy McGann left Berrien Springs, Michigan, where they had founded Emanuel Missionary College, today Andrews University, for Madison, Tennessee, where under the prophetic guidance of Ellen White, they established Madison College just outside of Nashville. As a self-supporting school, Madison pioneered the development of an educational program following the counsels of the spirit of prophecy closely, helping students graduate without debt and with life skills that would help earn a living for their lives as missionaries. And Madison's success sparked the foundation for other ministries worldwide, and these church members were committed with an intense desire to take the three angels' messages to the world. And in 1947, the church and lay people realized that they needed to band these ministries together, and so they created what was called the Association of Self-Supporting Institutions, or ASI. And this network was for the purpose of uniting the church with laity for mission. And as it grew over the years, business leaders, professionals were needed on the team, and they formed a dynamic network of members who utilized their God-given talents and energy for God's work. And today, ASI members around the world continue to follow the example of the Apostle Paul, sharing Christ in their marketplaces. Now, some of you know a lot of what ASI, how ASI has done this. How has ASI partnered with the church? How has has ASI helped to fulfill that one purpose of saving souls? You know some of these friends. You're going to hear more about it this week. But just to name a few, first of all, equipping lay people for evangelism. The New Beginnings Project allowing lay people to preach millions and baptizing thousands. I got to go to Zimbabwe in December and see 3,000 lay people in Zimbabwe trained to give Bible studies using New Beginnings. Amen? And now over 50,000 laymen and women have been trained and countless numbers of new believers are worshiping every Sabbath because of new beginnings. <clears throat> in Africa and all across 
the world. One Day Churches, Maranatha, OCI, other supporting ministries have erected over 6,000 One Day Churches around the world, 1,500 classrooms in the fastest growth areas for our church, providing a place to worship for over a million souls each Sabbath and a classroom for over 50,000 students. I saw one of these go up in, in, Zam in Zimbabwe, as, as Zambia, this last December as well. It's amazing to see the response of a community to getting a church. They're so thankful for a place to worship. This is ASI. The Happiness Book Project, providing over 6 million full message books into the hands of church members that end up in waiting rooms and prison cells and in the hands of Pathway to Health patients with an outcome that heaven alone knows. And ASI Youth for Jesus. For 15 years, training over 500 ASI youth in the actual experience of public evangelism, bringing over 1,000 baptisms to the Adventist Church. Praise God for ASI Youth for Jesus. ASI has supported over 700 supporting ministry and Adventist church projects over the last 20 years, supplying $30 million to enable and encourage promising projects, both large and small, for the spread of the gospel in North America and around the world. You'll be hearing more about the 41 projects selected for this year's offering as the week goes on. <clears throat> One of those projects, I'll just say, was a great impact to me, and that is GYC. You'll hear a little bit more about this ministry, but I can say that on a personal level, this ministry impacted me greatly when I was a college student at Columbia Union College. I found a group of young adults who were committed and passionate about the message and mission of the F SDA church and were willing to put their lives on the line to make it happen. It moved my heart and it changed my life. And I'm in ministry today because of what GYC did in my life. And I praise God for that, friends. That's the ministry of ASI. And last but not least, your best pathway to health came on the scene just over a year and a half ago. I was there in the Bay Area and saw the first patients come in. No questions asked. Free health care to the most needy. Through volunteer staff wanting to do the work that Jesus did, providing $40 million in health care services to more than 10,000 patients by about 4,000 volunteers. Wait a minute, 13,000 patients and 6,000 volunteers because we've got to add Spokane. God is good. Thousands of lay people mobilized for evangelism, committing their lives to the message of hope and healing that will change their communities. This is how the work is finished when lay people and church come together, united, humbly seeking God's Spirit to finish the work. Amen? This is how it will happen, united for one purpose. There are major events coming down the road, much bigger than any that we've faced in our church thus far. The enemy will try to distract us and divide us because he knows the power of this message. But my friends, by faith, I know that's not how the story will end. We will not be divided because God's church will triumph. Press together. God is calling us to remember the humble unity and clarity of purpose the church experienced in Acts chapter 2. This will only be achieved as we press together, united for one purpose, recognizing that our power is not of our own, but only as we lift up Jesus reading his holy word, the Bible, the spirit of prophecy, making it relevant in our, in our lives. Pressed together, united for one purpose, putting away all differences and strife between us. Let us remember that we have one mission, laity and church together, ASI and the church. We are united in our mission to reach the world. Let us not be divided thinking our ministry is better. Let us support each other as a team. The church needs ASI, and ASI needs the church. 
The work of God in this earth can never be finished until the men and women comprising our church membership rally to the work and unite their efforts with those of ministers and church officers. Gospel Workers, page 51. It cannot be finished until we unite together, press together, united for one purpose, focusing on evangelism, taking the three angels' messages to the world in this generation. Let us not be distracted from our focus on mission. My friends, we don't have time to be divided. Jesus is coming soon. Souls are perishing all around us. Our world is waiting. Multitudes are perishing in the night with no hope. The world needs this message, and it needs it now. We need a hundred missionaries where there are now one. We need a thousand new ASI members faithfully living Christ in the marketplace. We need new supporting ministries, schools, churches, orphanages, lay training centers, hospitals, lifestyle centers, media and literature ministries. We need scores of pathways to health happening across this country and across the world. We need a church where every member is ignited for mission. We are a team. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 9, page 221. If Christians were to act in concert, moving forward as one, under the direction of one power for the accomplishment of one purpose, they would move the world. As the astronauts of Apollo 13, <clears throat> sorry guys, lost my voice, approached the earth, their problems were not over. They had first to correct their course because if they were too shallow, they would skip off the atmosphere. But if they were too steep, they would burn up on re-entry. And the parachutes that were supposed to protect them on splashdown, the heaters had not been working. So they worried that they might be blocks of ice and they would plummet to their death. And the heat shield, was it damaged in the deadly explosion? They didn't know. They did their best as a team. Mission control, crew worked together to save those men, but at one point, all they could do was pray. As the command module plummeted to the earth in a fireball, there was the standard blackout of radio communications. Tensely, they waited. Would this end in failure? Would their work be in vain? But at 1.07 p.m. Eastern Time, they heard the sound of Jim Lovell over the radio as the bright orange parachutes unfurled in the Pacific sky. And the astronauts of Apollo 13 had made it safely home. My friends, we have a much greater mission than that of mission control in Apollo 13. Our mission is to bring the life-saving news of Jesus Christ to the world, the three angels' messages to the world. Some don't see how this church, enfeebled and defective as it may be, will prevail. But God has told us that he will bring this ship safely home. We have a choice, though, friends. Will we work together, surrendering to God's will for us? My friends, Jesus is coming soon. It is only as we are united, recognizing the source of our power in looking to Jesus, putting away our differences, focusing on our one purpose of saving souls, that we can have the power of the Holy Spirit to finish the work. Maybe tonight, and this appeal is just as much for me as for you, you recognize that you have not had the right spirit in your heart. Maybe you haven't relied fully on the power of God. 
Maybe you've been looking at yourself or someone else more than Jesus. Perhaps you've focused on distractions. They've pulled you away from the one purpose God has called us to. Maybe as a layperson, you haven't been focused on evangelism as you realize you should be. Or as a church pastor, you haven't united together with your lay people as you should have. But tonight, God calls all of us, each and every one of us, to recommit our hearts to pressing together, humbly uniting with our brothers and sisters so that God may use us to lift up Jesus before the world. My friends, I invite you tonight, before we close, if God has touched your heart tonight, that there is something he is calling you to do, there is some apology you need to make, there is some, something that he is asking you to do, to press together with your brothers and sisters, to unite humbly together, to finish this work, some ministry he's calling you to start, I don't know what it is, but if God has touched your heart tonight, I invite you to simply bow your heads with me for a prayer, and if God is, has, has spoken to you tonight, just please raise your hand and say, Lord Jesus, I accept the message that I've heard tonight, and I pray. I pray, Father, for all these precious Seventh-day Adventist members that are here tonight, that you would fill them with your Spirit, that you would unite them together for the one purpose of reaching this world for Christ. Empower them and fill them, Father, is my prayer. Forgive us, Father, where we have been distracted and divided. Give us the unity that only you can give us. And we pray with all of our hearts that Jesus will come soon. In his name we ask. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.